All right, well, good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning. Let me move this out of the way in case I get crazy up here. All right, Revelation chapter 3 is where we're at. Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we are looking at the last church in the seven churches of Revelation. And so, uh, if you hope that I was going to work through the rest of Revelation, that is not the case. Um, I'm just looking at the first seven churches here, and we'll pivot to a different text next week. We'll still be in the same series, align a church aligned with God's will. Um, and so this morning, we're looking at a church aligned with God's will, trusts in and relies on Jesus alone. If we want to be a church that's aligned with God's will, that's what we need to do. We've got to trust in and rely on Jesus alone. We're going to unpack that as we walk through this message here this morning. And so hopefully you have a good idea of what that looks like when we get done. Hopefully you found your place. Revelation chapter 3, we're in verse 14 this morning. We're looking at the church in Laodicea. I'm going to read uh, the text. We'll pray and then we'll get into it. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity to, to gather together as your church, to open your word, to learn from it, Lord, and help us to do that. Help us to learn what it looks like to rely on and trust in you alone as we walk through this passage here this morning. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, alone. Being alone is something that is both enjoyable and something that is difficult. Not too long ago, I, I discovered a show by the name Alone. It takes place in the northwest off of, off of Vancouver Island, and uh, at least several of the seasons have done that. They've moved around a little bit, but, but mainly it's been there off of Vancouver, Ireland, and they, they literally drop contestants off by themselves to live in the wilderness for an undetermined amount of time. And the object is to see how long you can live on this, this little plot of land there longer than somebody else, longer than the other contestants that they drop off as well. You have, you have no idea how the other people are doing. But if you outlive them on this island by yourself all alone, then you will win $500,000. And they don't make it easy. There is a huge population of bears on this island. As you watch some of the seasons, you see that, that some of the people almost get attacked by some of these bears. 
The weather is not good either. I mean, it rains an ungodly amount up there. And it's cold all of the time. Or at least it's cold when, when they're doing this show. So they're not, they're not making it easy for these folks. The camera crew doesn't follow them like you might think. You know, they, they, at least they got the camera crew to interact with. No, the camera crew is not there. They, they, they train them and drop them off with a ton of a camera equipment. And they have to film themselves on this, on this island isolated from, from everyone. They have no contact with anyone else. They are absolutely and completely alone. Most of the contestants on the show are wilderness survival experts. I mean, folks that know how to take care of themselves, that, that know how to live out in the wild all by themselves. They, they are people you would say are, are self-reliant. And the show, it, it highlights not only the contestants' physical struggles through this time, but it also highlights their, their mental struggles. You see, it's difficult for us to live alone. We are not created to live alone. We are actually created to live in community with other people. And, and in some sense, we know that intuitively. And so, and so when you, you, you tune into a show like that, you know like it, it's going to be a physical struggle, but it's also going to be a mental struggle for them as well. We know that intuitively. We see that on the show. We've even felt that ourselves recently during the pandemic where we're having to, to isolate from other people. We need one another. We're not as self-reliant as we like to think ourselves to be. And while we know that, we know that we need one another, we still try to live as if, as if we can do things on our own. And that's not only the case in our personal lives, but, but that is the case in the church as well. We tend to think of Christianity as this you know, solo activity, right? I just need, to, just need to get along with Jesus and my Bible, and, and things are going to be okay. But that is not the case at all. We need one another. We know that from experience. The Bible tells us that as well. We need one another. The Apostle Paul, uh, one of the writers of the New Testament, wrote you know, like at least half of the New Testament, um, he, he has, in his writings, over 33 separate times where he speaks about our need for one another. Now, I'm not going to go through all 33, but let me just read a few of those to you. Romans 12.10 Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Listen to how many times he uses this word, one another. Romans 15.5 May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Or Galatians 5.13 <clears throat> For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Galatians 6.2 Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible pictures us as a group of people who are gathered together with one another, loving and serving one another, who are growing together with one another in unity. The Bible does not picture us as a people who rely on themselves, not as a people who, who just get alone with Jesus and, and their Bible. You see, there are no Lone Ranger Christians when it comes to the church. We are not self-reliant. Instead, we are dependent on one another, and we are also dependent on Jesus. And ch churches are the same. Churches are not to be self-reliant. Instead, churches are to be Christ-dependent. And it appears that that is the struggle of the church here in Laodicea. They, they are not Christ-dependent. Laodicea was located on the Lycus River, and it was at the crossroads of, of three imperial roads. It was comprised of a banking and manufacturing, as, 
as well as a, a medical community there. This, this city was, was prosperous. It was, it was wealthy. Um, and one commentator likened this city to a city of style. And so you could think about a city like L.A. or New York or even, even a city local here like Dallas. And their wealth, it allowed them to be self-reliant. In AD 60, an earthquake destroyed the city and they didn't need Rome to help them rebuild. They had enough wealth themselves that they were able to rebuild the city all on their own. And it seems the city's self-reliant attitude and their nature worked their way into the church there in Laodicea. And so what does Jesus say about the church at Laodicea? Well, look at verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. And because of their wealth, the church thinks that they are able to get along by themselves just fine. They don't recognize their their true condition. They don't recognize their true need for one another. They don't recognize their true need for Jesus. Because they are physically rich, they, they believe that they are also spiritually rich. But here's the thing, we cannot correlate physical riches or material wealth with spiritual wealth or spiritual health. That is, that is what the prosperity gospel teaches us. If you are materially blessed, if you are, if you are wealthy, then, then things must be going well between you and God. But that is not the case. Jesus is not a prosperity preacher. He doesn't correlate physical wealth with spiritual health. Even though the church is, is fairly well off, Jesus comes to them and He says, look, this is, this is who you guys really are. You are wretched. You are pitiable. You are poor. You are blind. You are naked. And Jesus uses these, this physical description of them to provide a, a spiritual description. He's talking about their spiritual condition. And so let's look at these phrases here. He says, they are naked. Now think back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, after they rebelled against God, after they had sinned against Him by taking the fruit that He told them not to take, which wasn't just about taking the fruit, it was about are they going to trust in and listen to God? And they decided, no, I want to trust it and listen to myself. And so they take this fruit and they eat of it so that they would, they would be self-dependent. And what happens? Well, they feel naked and ashamed. And what do they do to try to hide their guilt? Well, well, they made clothes for themselves. But that didn't work. God saw right through the facade. He saw who they were. And the same is true here with the church at Laodicea. Jesus looks at them instead of seeing this impressive-looking, wealthy church that is self-reliant. What Jesus actually sees is a people who are guilty. They have a record against them and they are liable for punishment. And that's the same that is true of us. If we believe that we can clean ourselves up to make ourselves look more pleasing to Jesus, we are mistaken. Jesus looks right through that, that outer facade that we like to put on ourselves and He sees us for who we really are. He peers deep into our heart and He sees what we really believe in, what we really trust in. He sees that, that we are desperately wicked people, that we are guilty people who need Him. We also learn they're in spiritual poverty. Because they are, are materially rich, they, they believe things are going well for them, but, but things are not going well. They're in, in real need. And while, while working to, to gain wealth can, can change your life, it cannot change your spiritual state. 
This is why people who are rich, who, who have it all, who, who you look at and you say, man, if I could just be like that person there, I mean, look at this jet that they're flying around in, look at these fancy clothes they're wearing. Man, they're, they're, in, they're in movies and they're doing all of these things. If I could just be like that person right there, things would be, things would be going well for me. Or maybe you're more you know, up to date and you're like, if I could just become this amazing influencer on Instagram or something like that, right? And you're just like, man, if I could just be that, if I could get that many likes and that many followers and that many people, people would pay me to promote their products and things would be going well for me. Things would be awesome for me. But that is not the case. The car we drive, the house we live in, the clothes we wear, the fancy jewelry that is around our neck, the expensive technology that is meant to make life go well for us cannot change our spiritual condition. Jesus points that out to the church at Laodicea. Jesus points that out to us as well. We learn next that they're spiritually blind, right? They, they believe that things are going well for them. They cannot see their own need. And how often is that true? People believe that they are okay when in reality they are not okay at all. And oftentimes we believe we are okay because we equate material blessings with spiritual acceptance. Now God can and does. He does bless people physically. But, but we cannot equate physical blessing in our life with spiritual acceptance and a right relationship with God. If we start doing that, we will believe ourselves to be okay when we really are not okay at all. We also see that they're in this terrible state. Jesus says that they are wretched, which means that they're unhappy or, or unfortunate. They, they believe their fortunes are good, but in reality, when it comes to their relationship with the Lord, they are not doing well at all. They are actually in a terrible place. While they might appear to be happy, they aren't. Wealth and self-reliance cannot buy us happiness. It cannot buy us a fortunate state. It cannot buy us a relationship with God that is pleasing to Him. Oftentimes, it actually deceives us into thinking that, that we are in a better place than we really are. Because of the state that, that the Laodiceans find themselves, Jesus says they are to be pitied. Jesus' description of the church is quite opposite of what, what they believe is going on in themselves, what they believe about themselves. While it might seem that, that Jesus is, is being harsh with them here, Jesus is actually being loving. He tells them in verse 9 that, that, in verse 19, excuse me, he reproves and disciplines those whom he loves. Jesus' words are meant to, to shock the church, to, to wake them up, to help them to see that, that, that things are really not going as well as you think that they're going, to, to get them to actually see what is going on in their life. You see, self-work and, and self-reliance does not please Jesus. And how about you? In what ways does, does Jesus need to wake you up? In what ways are you being too self-reliant? Do you think your material wealth means that you are in good standing with God? Or are you trusting in, in what you can do rather than what Jesus has done for you? How is Jesus seeking to wake you up today? He's not pleased by those who think that they can earn their favor through their own work, nor is he pleased by those who rely on self. And said what pleases Jesus is those who are all in for him. He wants us to see that, that he is the one who, who provides us with everything that we have. He wants us to rely on him and him alone. Jesus wants us to have an accurate picture of ourselves and to trust and rely on him and him alone because he knows what happens when we don't trust in him, when we don't rely on him. 
And so what is that? What, what happens when we don't trust in, when we don't rely on Jesus alone? What happens when we are self-reliant instead of Christ-dependent? Well, Jesus tells us in verses 15 and 16, so look there with me. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you either were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus tells the church, look, I, I, know, your, I know your works. Again, we're reminded that, that Jesus' eyes are like this, this blazing fire. He can, he can look into and, and peer into your heart. He can see everything that is going on. And while the Laodiceans, they, they appear to be a people who, 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 who are a church, who are gathered together, Jesus sees who they really are. He, he saw how they really lived, how they really acted. Jesus knows their works. And He sees here that they are neither hot nor cold. In other words, they, they are neither for Jesus or they're neither against Jesus. They, they, they're sitting somewhere in between. Now, every day when I wake up, the first thing that I do after I crawl out of bed in the morning and, and let my dog out is to make coffee. You know, I'd make, I'd make coffee before I let my dog out, but but he won't let me do that. As soon as I walk into the living room, he's jumping up off of his bed. He's ready to eat. He starts running to the door, and, and there's no way that I could get away with making my coffee first. And so I have no choice but to feed him before I make my coffee. And now I probably drink a lot more coffee than, than I should, but there's just something about having this hot drink when, when, when you go to sit down and, and read God's Word or you go to sit down and, and, and study the Bible that just kind of gets you in the mood to do that. And every morning that, that's what I do. I'm, I wake up, I make my coffee, and, and when it's done, I, I grab my iPad, I open up the, the, the Read Scripture app that the guys over at the Bible Project provide to help you read through the Bible in a year, and I read through the selection for that day, then I you know, write up some sort of social media post, and I, and I post that out there, and I do that while I'm enjoying my coffee. Now sometimes... In the midst of all of this, after maybe even a cup or two of coffee, I get a little bit distracted. I've kind of had my fill of coffee, and so it begins to sit there, and it sits there a little bit longer than coffee should sit there. And then I start to think, man, I really want some coffee. And so I go and I take a big gulp of coffee, and you know what it is. It's, it's lukewarm. It's gross. It's like, oh man, this is nasty. And, and if I'm sitting outside, I will, I will usually spit that coffee out into the yard. And that's what Jesus is saying about those who are somewhere in between. They're lukewarm. He doesn't like lukewarm things just like you and I don't like lukewarm things. Jesus says lukewarm believers do not please me. He just wants to spit them out of his mouth. And that's where this church in Laodicea is. They're lukewarm. They're neither hot nor cold. They're somewhere in between. They're neither for Jesus or against Jesus. They're, they're not willing to admit that they don't want Jesus. But they're not really willing to go out there and be on fire for Jesus either. They're just kind of in between. And Jesus says, no, spit you out of my mouth like that lukewarm coffee that you might drink in the morning or lukewarm tea or whatever it is that you 
and joy. Now, what does it look like to be a lukewarm Christian? Those who are lukewarm often have some understanding of of who Jesus is. They might be likened to those who've been raised in the church their entire life, right? They they know all the stories about about Jesus. They've heard those Bible stories. They they might even claim to be a Christian, but, but there is no zeal in their life at all for Jesus. They aren't pursuing him. They aren't proclaiming him. They aren't allowing life to to orbit around Jesus, seeing him as the greatest thing in the world. No, no, they are they are neither for Jesus or against Jesus. They are just lukewarm. But Jesus says, I don't like lukewarm people. I would rather you be cold than lukewarm. I would rather you be disinterested in who I am and have no care for me at all than to be somebody who's just right here in the middle who's lukewarm. Jesus can't stand those who are half in and half out who do ministry half-hearted, who follow Jesus halfway. Jesus says, no, I spit you out of my mouth. He can't fellowship with them. He can't be around them. He doesn't want anything to do with those type of people. Jesus either wants you to be all in or all out. Lukewarmness does not please Jesus. Their material wealth has allowed them to rely on themselves instead of Jesus. Relying on themselves has, has, has cooled their affections and their, and their need for Jesus. And that's often the case when, for us as well, when, when life is going well. When all of our needs are, are taken care of, when we're living this, this comfortable life, we don't see a need for Jesus unless some sort of tragedy comes into our life or some sort of difficulty strikes. And then we're like, man, we need Jesus. But, but in the day-to-day, when life is going well, when we're comfortable... We don't see a need for Jesus. And that's often the case with the American church. We have things really, really well. And so we don't see a need for Jesus. We don't, we don't see Him as the greatest thing that is ever. We don't, we don't depend on Him and rely on Him in the day-to-day just to get us through that day. No, we think we can do it on our own. We end up believing ourselves to be more self-reliant than we really are in our zeal for Jesus. It just, it begins to wane because we can get through life without Him. We don't see how He cares and provides for us on a daily basis. And we begin to, we end up just just going through the motions. So yes, we, we show up to church every now and again on Sunday because we think, man, this is just, this is what we're supposed to do. But, but we don't really come to, to learn about and, and worship Jesus. We don't come to serve and, and fellowship with other believers. We aren't here to seek life change. We aren't here to, to sacrifice anything. We're just here because it makes us feel good. We got, we got, our, we got our fill of Jesus for the day, and man, we're doing great. We, we kind of calmed our conscience down a little bit, and now we can just go out and do whatever we want. Other symptoms of those who are lukewarm, their, their prayer life begins to slip, right? They don't need to depend on Jesus. They don't need anything from Jesus. They've got everything that they need. Their banking account does more for them than Jesus does for them. And so their prayer life begins to slip, as does our our Bible reading, right? If we, don't see a, if we don't see a need for Jesus, well, we don't need to know how Jesus operates. We don't need to know how Jesus acts and how Jesus thinks. We don't need to know anything about God because things are going well for us. We just want a little God sprinkled into our life. And so our Bible reading begins to slip. 
Our desire to be on mission for Jesus and and to tell other people about Him slips as well because, man, life's going well for us. All the people around us, life's going well for them. They have wealth. They are comfortable. Why do they need Jesus? We're doing well without Him. Lukewarm people, lukewarm churches don't make disciples. Instead, they go through the motions. They do what makes them feel comfortable, what meets their need, what fulfills their preferences. A church that is lukewarm is a church that is ineffective. People in churches that are lukewarm, Jesus says, those people, those churches do not please me. Now say you find yourself lukewarm. What can you do? What can a church do to warm itself up so that it's not lukewarm any longer? Well, first, we can recognize that Jesus is the all-sovereign God of the universe and the one who is in control of, of all things. You see, each of these letters, they they open with some characteristic about Jesus. Every letter that he's written to these churches says something about who he is. And then the beginning of all these letters talk a lot about who Jesus is. And this letter is no different. And so notice there in verse 14, how Jesus characterizes himself. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And so Jesus' self-description of himself is meant to remind the Laodiceans here that, that he is the beginning of God's creation, that, that he is literally the one who is in control of everything, that he is the one who provides them with the wealth and the comfort that they possess. Instead of turning to someone or, or something else, Jesus is saying, you need to turn to me. You need to trust in and you need to rely on me. Don't rely on your own self-effort. Rely on me. And likewise, we should trust in Jesus alone as well. The way that that we do that is by recognizing that Jesus is literally the one who provides us with everything that we have. Oftentimes, we believe that that we are the ones who provide ourselves with what we have. We are the ones who, who earn everything that we have. Yes, we might be the ones who have earned the degree that is hanging on our wall. We might be the ones who went and interviewed for that job and we knocked it out of the park. We might be the ones who go to work every single day and drive there and labor hard for the money that we bring home and for the food that we put on the table for our families. But here's the thing. The truth is we wouldn't have the intellect. We wouldn't have the opportunity. We wouldn't have the health that we do if it wasn't for Jesus. And so, yes, we go and we do all of these things, right? We, we have to go and do these things. You don't just sit on the couch and, and, and God just rains money down from heaven for you to take care of your family. No, you have to go out and you have to work for it. But the reason that we can go out and we can work for all of those things and have all the stuff that we have is because Jesus gives that to us. He is the one who provides that to us. He's the all-sovereign God of the universe who controls everything, including the jobs that you and I have. And if we're going to be a people and a church that trusts in and rely on Jesus, then we must recognize that Jesus is literally the one who provides us with all things. Recognizing that makes us more dependent on Jesus. It makes us rely on Jesus more. You see, when we are, we are walking through difficult times and hard times and, and, and somebody comes and, and provides for us, what do we say? God is taking care of us. 
But when we're comfortable and when, when things are just going well, we're like, oh, we're providing for myself. We, we've got to get to a place where we see that even when we're comfortable and things are going well for us, we've got to be thankful for all of the things that God gives us because even the comfort and everything that we have is provided by the hand of God. We've got to get to a place where we see that. In order to warm ourselves up to Jesus, depending on and relying on Him, we must also second realize that Jesus alone provides us with salvation and is greater than anything that this world could ever offer us. So look at verse 18. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may See, after telling him, he says, look, you guys are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, you are, you are naked. After telling them all of these things about them, Jesus says, look, but come, come and buy from me. I'm offering these things to you free of charge. Come and get them from me. And he says, come and, and get gold refined in the fire." And the idea is that, that we don't need material riches. Instead, what we need is, is spiritual riches. And Jesus is the only one who can provide us with spiritual riches. And so instead of seeking worldly riches, we should seek spiritual riches. Riches that only Jesus can provide for us. So we must look to Him. We must buy for Him. Because worldly riches, all they do is destroy our love for, our dependence on, and our reliance on Jesus. And so we've got to go and we have to purchase these spiritual riches from Jesus. He also counsels them to buy white garments. You see, no matter how dazzled up we might be, man, we are all naked and ashamed before God. And Jesus counsels them. He says, come, come to me. Allow me to cover you. Buy this, this white garment, this holy garment from me. This is going to make you acceptable before God. You see, we cannot earn our own acceptance. It doesn't matter what clothes we put on. It doesn't matter what works we do. It doesn't matter how much money is in our banking account, what kind of house we live in, or what kind of car we drive, or what school we went to. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves more acceptable to God. We're all on the same playing field. All, the, the ground at the, at the foot of the cross is all level. We all need Jesus in equal amount. And Jesus says, if you want salvation... Buy from me. Buy this white garment from me. See that I am the one, the only one, who can make you acceptable before the Father. And lastly, Jesus counsels them to buy salve for their eyes. We're blind to our own spiritual needs to Jesus. And here Jesus counsels the church to, to buy this salve so that they might be able to see the world, so that they might be able to see themselves for what is really going on. So they might be able to see clearly who Jesus is and, and how He is much greater and more valuable than the world could ever be. And to run to Jesus. And so all of this combines to teach us that, that Jesus alone is the one who provides us with salvation. Jesus alone is, is greater than anything that the world could ever offer us. And unless we see that, unless we recognize that, we will not rely on and we will not trust in Jesus alone. We will continue to remain lukewarm. We'll be a little bit in and a little bit out. We'll have just a little bit of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't want us to have just a little bit of Him. Jesus wants us to be hot for Him. Jesus wants us to have this zeal for Him. He wants that to burn strong so that we recognize that He is greater than anything. 
We've got to understand what Jesus has done for us. And understanding what Jesus has done for us will warm us up. It will produce this zeal in our life for Him. We will grow hot towards Jesus. Lastly, in order to warm ourselves up for Jesus, depending on and relying on Him, we must allow Jesus' loving reproof and discipline to motivate us to repent and be zealous for Him, seeking fellowship with Him. Look at 19 and 20. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. And so be zealous and repent. And behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And so Jesus tells us that, that he doesn't allow those who are his to continue in sin. Jesus actually comes and he lovingly reproves us. He lovingly disciplines us so that we will turn back to Him in fellowship. And those who experience His discipline and zeal realize it's, it, is, it is Jesus' discipline. He is the one who tells us to come and to open the door to Him. Now oftentimes we, we, think, of, we think of this verse here where it talks about, you know, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. It's some sort of evangelistic verse, but that's not the case. Jesus is not standing at the door and knocking on the heart of those who are non-believers. He is standing at the door and He is knocking on the church here in Revelation, the church of Laodicea. He's standing and knocking on the lukewarm church and He's saying, open the door to Me. Fellowship with Me. When someone comes and they knock on your door and you let them in, what are you doing? You're, you're letting them into your house. You're having fellowship with them. You're getting to know who they are. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't keep me outside. Because you are keeping me outside, this is why you think you can rely on and trust in your own self. But allow me to come in. Fellowship with me. And how do we do that? How do we, how do we fellowship with Jesus? Well, we read God's Word. We study it. We pray. We gather together with other believers. And we talk about God's Word. You see, if we want to be a church that's not lukewarm, if we want to be a people that is not lukewarm, we have to fellowship with Jesus on a regular basis. And that means we've got to go to His Word each and every single day. This is how zeal for Jesus is built. And Jesus knows that. He says, fellowship with me. Know who I am. Understand who I am. Know what I have done for you. How I've sacrificed for you. I am the one who provides you with the white garment. I am the one who makes you acceptable for God. I am the one who provides you with all spiritual riches. I am the one who, who provides salve for your eyes so that you are not blind and you can see yourself in the world for what it really is. I am that person. And so are you seeking fellowship with Jesus? Do you run to Jesus each and every single day? Do you gather with other believers to, to study His Word and to learn more about Jesus? Is that, is that something that is important to you? If you aren't doing those things, then you're not going to be zealous for Jesus because you're not fellowshipping with Jesus. You won't run to Him instead of the things of the world. You won't trust in Him and Him alone, relying on Him instead of yourself. If you want to warm yourself to Jesus, you must accept Jesus' reproof. You must accept His discipline. And you must continually seek fellowship with Jesus each and every single day. 
church that is self-reliant and lukewarm can get back on the right path by trusting in and relying on Jesus alone. And so let's be that church. Let's be a people that, that trust in and, and relies on Jesus alone. Let, let's see Him as more valuable than anything that this world could ever offer us. Let's meditate on the salvation that, that He provides consistently preaching the gospel to ourselves and to one another. If we do that, then we are going to warm our hearts to Jesus. Instead of living as lukewarm people, we're going to be a people who are hot for Jesus, who are on fire for Jesus. We're going to be a people who are trusting in and relying on Jesus, even when things are going well, even when we are materially and rich and wealthy, even when life is comfortable, we're still going to rely on and trust in Jesus because we know that He is the one who provides us with all things. And I want to invite you to do that today. To trust in and rely on Jesus alone, recognizing that He is the one who provides us with all things so that you might live for Him and be hot for Him, so that you might have this fiery zeal for Jesus. And if you're just hearing the gospel for the first time, if you're just hearing the gospel for the millionth time today, and, but today it's just, it's just clicking for you. If you realize that, that Jesus is your Savior and you cannot save yourself, that you can't provide for yourself, that your self-efforts aren't working, that, that what you are trusting in and relying on is failing you, then, then turn to Jesus today. Jesus is, is never going to fail you. And if you want to know more about Jesus, if you have more questions about Jesus, if you want to talk more about this Jesus who provides for us, who provides us with salvation, who is greater than anything that this world could ever offer us. I'll be around after the service. I'll be right out the back door there. I'd be happy to talk more with you about Jesus and about how valuable He is. I'd be happy to talk more with you about how you might fellowship with Jesus and how you might experience the salvation that He provides. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you for this day and for this opportunity for us to come to you, Lord, <clears throat> to learn from you. And God, as we do that, we ask that you would help us to be a people that is not lukewarm, but a people that see Jesus as, as more valuable than anything that this world can ever offer, that our affections are warm to him, that they are drawn to him, that we have a zeal for him. Help us to be a people and a church that's on fire for Jesus as we trust in and rely on Him. And as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.